0: Welcome to Creating Dangerously. Our name is taken from the Albert Camus 1957 lecture, Create Dangerously, where he said, To create today is to create dangerously. Any publication is an act, and that act exposes one to the passion of an age that forgives nothing. In Creating Dangerously, we look back at those who have created dangerously to those who continue to do so today in an age that still forgives nothing. I'm your host, Skip Shea. So, let's create dangerously. Okay, well, welcome everyone. Uh, this is a special edition of of creating dangerously. This is our Noir November um, edition. Uh, I, I was unaware myself that there was a thing called Noir Vember. That's why we're we're doing it in the middle of November. And not at the beginning of November, which would have made much more sense. Um, so, but it, it's apparently a celebration of film noir, uh, which, which I think leads to the opening question. Uh, you know, what the hell is film noir? <laughs> because I don't know that there's a, a definitive definition. Um, because it really it never started as a film movement. Uh, it and it became one. Uh, in france not even here hence the name you know noir um so in a little research this would be the background but not defining it um the, the definition of film noir is it, the films that were made between 1940 and 1958 most of them were b movies most of them were just the opening of a double bill uh, so it wasn't the the main feature and there were a lot of them were crime dramas or murder dramas um and the critics hated them uh, in particular, I found a, a critic named Lloyd Shearer, who wrote in a piece in the Sunday New York Times on August 5th in 1945 called Crime Certainly Does Pay. He marked the whole trend, calling the films homicidal, lusty and filled with gut and gore crime. Amazing. And in, right. And it, it's right. That's perfect. Uh, and that it, was a
1: criticism. Yes.
0: It, well, it, 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 the, the main target of the article was double indemnity. Oh, God. Come yeah, on. Oh, That's such a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> um but it it wasn't considered uh any kind of movement that would come later from france
1: mm-hmm.
0: so during the not, nazi occupation in france uh they weren't allowed to show any films from the united states so that didn't come until late 1945 and that's when you know a lot of these movies were shown over there and and an italian born film critic neo nino frank coined the phrase film noir and then in, in the mid to late 50s the you know the big like Truffaut the the big um, French New Wave directors really embraced it. They embraced um, the, the noir films and they embraced Hitchcock before anyone you know. Even then, Hitchcock was not considered what he is today. It was it was the mm-hmm. French who did this. And and um and I'm gonna say a quote here from um, an American filmmaker uh, Abraham Polanski uh, who directed uh, Force of Evil, which is a great noir. He said, an extraordinary, horrible, uh, an extraordinary, horrible war, concentration camps, slaughter, atomic bombs, people killed for nothing. That can make anyone a little pessimistic Um, (laughs) as he minimizes everything. But I I found it curious as we're doing something based off of Camus experience in France during um, the same time period where he came up with, you know, his or he fully embraced, I I would say, his existential version of uh, absurdism. Uh, that people would certainly embrace these movies and then suddenly make them uh, an important uh, cinematic force, but still, none of that tells me what it is, it just tells me how it got there. So, so, what are your thoughts
1: on what it is? I know for me, the first thing that springs to mind whenever anybody mentions this is the hard boiled detective, uh, usually talks with a funny accent. And the uh, femme fatale walks into the office, his office, and has got a case for him. And um, uh, the femme fatale, always gorgeous, sexy. The detective is always a little less smart than he thinks he is. Uh, and uh, the the entire movie is spent... With the femme fatale manipulating the director, that the the, the det- detective, or uh, with the audience having to guess whether or not the femme fatale is actually manipulating the detective, so that's the stereotype. But as you'll see later, when I was choosing my films that we're going to talk about, almost none of them fit into that stereotype. <laughs> so my so
0: my definition doesn't really fit. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> No but that is that is problem. a good that is the first thing that I do think that comes to mind for mm-hmm. for everyone like Raymond mm-hmm. Chandler.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Sam Spade film, right? Maltese yeah. Falcon.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think for me um similarly that is that is the trope that comes to mind but I adjusted it as I was picking my films um because I realized that all of my favorite noir films tend to be um People either on the outskirts of society or people in like the dark underground of society, like criminals, some type of criminals. Um, and then, you know, usually people who are um pessimistic in some way, to your point, you know, this coming out of World War Two. I I and really looking as you say that World War II piece skip, it makes me realize it's really criminals trying to survive a bad situation right and um it tends to be people who aren't the best people trying to get the best of a bad situation and either learning from it or only getting worse from it and i think that's sort of my uh take on on film noir is it tends to have a nihilistic element to it it tends to be you know people on the fringes of society or people in the criminal world um, and sometimes it's good people fighting against a bad situation, but usually it's morally gray people fighting against a bad yes. situation.
0: It's funny you say uh, uh, nihilistic, because in, in when I was doing the research, I I've went to you know Eddie Muller, who's like the, the czar of noir, and, um, and he, he challenged the, the, the nihilistic uh, component of it because he, mm-hmm. he put it up against the Hollywood movies of the time. And he said this was a respite from all the sugar-coated, you know, color, mm-hmm. mo- you know, musicals. Um, and and I thought that was curious because it doesn't change the, how the themes of the movies yeah. feel to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's still pretty nihilistic. I found and um, and one of I, it might have been his book. Uh, the best I found this definition that works for me. It's a style of filmmaking characterized by such such element elements as a cynical hero. Uh, stark lighting effects frequent use of flash flashbacks intricate plots and an underlying existential philosophy um mm-hmm. and i and i think that that works more because it does some of them do branch out of of detective stories mm-hmm. um and, and although it, it, you know i think and i don't know if it if it let me look at the years yeah 59 so like like sweet smell of success which i didn't pick but that's it's not really a detective story but it's definitely a noir. Um, I do. I do mention it later because of I, I picked Laura. But um, and but I think the most important thing that Eddie Muller always says it, it, his short definition of it is suffering in style, because <laughs> they're they are the style. Even the poor, the people that uh, Andrea you mentioned from the other side of town, like they the guy's always wearing a tie like he always has the best hat and the, yeah, uh, I was going to say and a great hat you know like how how did they do this um but there is a certain style to to traditional noir uh that I think gets lost in, in in neo-noir um that that helps with it now I don't know if we just helped anyone figure out what what it is that nar is noir is by our our definitions there um but I think if we give examples of the movies that I think they may know most of these, that they, they should uh, have a better clue. So who wants to go first?
1: I could start. Um, The the three I've picked all, I I think fit the definition as we've laid it out somewhat, but they all have a, a twist on the formula that I really enjoyed. So I just recently watched the glass key. It's uh with Brian Dunlevy, Alan Ladd, Veronica Lake. Um, uh, Veronica Lake is definitely playing the typical kind of femme fatale uh somebody with who seems to have ul- ulterior motives. Um, Alan Ladd is the uh, best friends to uh with Brian Dunlevy's character, who is this big kind of political boss um, uh he's uh he's super charming. Uh, but totally corrupt. And the two, uh, Alan Ladd and Brian Dunleavy, have been friends for years. And uh, uh, Dunleavy's character meets Veronica Lake, instantly falls in love, wants to marry her. Alan Ladd suspects there's um, that she's not being sincere. But what I find so interesting about this movie is there is this complete gay subtext that I, I looked everywhere and I couldn't find anybody writing about it with this movie. It's, it's based on a, a Dashiell Hammett novel. I don't know if it was intentional, but to, it, to modernize, it's so obvious that Alan Ladd is in love with Brian Dunleavy. Um, He goes through hell for this guy who is, who is, is nice enough to him, but doesn't really return the affection. There's one scene of um beating where Alan Ladd gets beat that that is a that is pretty graphic and the makeup effects were actually excellent for the time and it basically goes through torture for this guy it's so it's completely obvious that he's in love with them and in a way that that makes the ending which I won't spoil here ring completely hollow for me but I, I just found it fascinating to see what appeared to be this really obvious subtext in this film from 1942. Well, 42, so it was, it was that early. on. Yeah. Wow. Okay, Andrea?
2: Yeah. So my first pick is High Sierra, um, for, which is from actually 1940. <laughs> uh, and that one is with Ida Lupino and Humphrey Bogart. And um, it just, it really, it doesn't, bear all of the same, um, it doesn't bear a great resemblance to your typical film noir imagining. Um there's no detective. I mean there is a detective, but he's not the main character. <laughs> um and I just think um despite all their issues on set, Humphrey Bogart and Ida Lupino have great chemistry. Um, it's a great role for Humphrey Bogart because it's a, a man obsessed with sort of breaking away from society and just getting away from these trappings and imaginings that people have for him. Um, and, you know, it's a, there's criminals on the run, there's there's all this stuff, and it's about sort of trying to survive in a society that um, doesn't have room for you or doesn't have room for the lifestyle that you want to have. You know, it's like what when, when people... I feel like Humphrey Bogart's character in this would have done great if he had just, you know, heard about living off the grid, but he didn't. So he's obsessed with, you know, breaking away from society. And there's something about it that is very pure in a character that is otherwise very criminal. Um, And I just, I love it. And I think uh, the two of them do a great job and there's a lot of emotion behind it um, in a very real way coming out of, you know, the great depression that I think is really interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I always found uh, um, Bogart's character in, in that slightly sympathetic. Yeah, um, yeah. Oddly sympathetic, oddly I should say. Oddly
2: sympathetic for for what it is, right? Yeah,
0: I, and I and I still can't don't know. Well, I think that's, that's part of this. E- even some of the worst, yeah. some of the worst characters, not all of them, that there's a, a, a level of empathy that you have for them if it's done well.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm.
0: So my my first pick is Double Indemnity, uh 1944 by Billy Wilder with Barbara Stanwyck, Fred McMurray, and Edward G. Robinson. Uh the the brief synopsis is for for both love and money, an insurance salesman conspires with a customer to murder her husband. Uh this was uh the first time Raymond Chandler was involved in a film. Uh first time he was ever on a set, so he he had a big hand in writing this. Uh the standout and this several of them, but the the biggest standout is Barbara Stanwyck's uh Phyllis Dietrichson, like the ultimate femme fatale. She she is so evil. Um and and not only duping uh Fred McMurray's, you know, Walter Neff, but um but the scene when, when the husband is killed and she's sitting there in the car just nearly emotionless is chilling. I mean, she's and the fact that she then is double crossing, you know, Fred McMurray, uh, which is, I, I have to confess, seeing a lot of these movies later in life. Fred McMurray was a Disney guy and my three sons. Mm-hmm. So seeing him in this and and saying, baby, way too much. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. <laughs> what do you want me to do now, baby? That's like, OK, I get it. Uh, this or and in Billy Wilder's The Apartment, I kept thinking my head wanted to explode with him making fred mcmurray so evil twice yeah. but but i i think uh it's it's edward g robinson's character who i love in this movie who at the very end no matter how bad walter turned out to be um he has this great amount of empathy for his friend uh and he shows it at the end and and i think that that's that's not always the case in noir um having you know having empathy for like a, a killer uh at the end it, it was it, i i thought a very bold and incredible um, i mean, I am spoiling endings here um <laughs> uh moment in, in 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 noir in film history especially at that time because we're dealing with the Hayes code with all of these mm-hmm. which is is a struggle with how they they had to end them uh because it always they always had to appease the Hayes code so that was my first pick
1: uh, Patrick, you're a second. Yeah, I'm going with 1945's Detour. Ah. Uh, with uh, It's uh, directed by a guy named Edgar Ulmer. Who, very interesting career. Made a lot of B-action, science fiction films. Most of them com- completely forgettable, mediocre. And then in the middle of this was this incredible, dark really bleak film noir uh it's um the the uh synopsis is that there there's this uh pianist al al roberts and uh he is working in a new york nightclub his fiance goes to hollywood and he decides he's going to hitchhike across the country to be with her uh he is picked up by a hitchhiker who then accidentally dies <laughs> and uh and so this pianist takes his identity and things go downhill from there. And there's a few things that I really love about this movie. One is that the the, the femme fatale of this movie uh, is played by an actress named Anne Savage. And she gives a performance that was not at all typical for 1945. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she, I mean, it's 19, it's 1945, so she still somehow looks glamorous but her character is just crazy and ugly from the get-go and she really plays it up she uh she plays up the crazy the manip- the manipulation um and I, I just I found her performance to be incredible. but the other thing I, I always love um uh, an unreliable narrator and I feel like you really get this with this film. Uh, things keep happening to him, and uh, they happen in the most unlikely ways. And his voiceover will tell you, nobody's going to believe this really happened this way. <laughs> and so you're left wondering, did it really happen that, this way? Uh, to me, the only flaw in this film is exactly, Skip, what you're talking about is the Hayes Code. Uh, they tack on an ending where... Um, Suddenly the police just show up <laughs> out of nowhere and that that's it. That's, that's the ending, but, uh, uh, really excellent, uh, grimy kind of dark film.
2: Awesome. Um, I went with my second film is a sort of path, uh, through I'm I'm skipping over chronologically my third film to my final film or to my second film which is in 1953 um so sort of almost at the end of the line there and uh I'm going to it because it's directed by Ida Lupino who is the star of my first film <laughs> that I picked um and it's called The Hitchhiker which I believe we've talked about before on this show but as a film it's um it definitely has the very stylistic noir tendencies throughout, through the camera work, the lighting, everything. Um and it's tagged, uh it was um marketed as the first American film noir directed by a woman. Um, so give it a little credence there. But uh it is it is very much um the script the script was written by a uh uh black blacklisted author um and um it was it's very it's very much coming out of World War II right it's a person holding these people hostage um and they're apparently completely innocent of anything um as you're going in they're pretty wholesome people and they, in this bad situation from this person who just seems to be completely sinister and um, evil for no apparent reason. And it's an interesting thing to look at it from the perspective of this being influenced by World War II in the way that there's this sadistic man just trying to get everybody to do things to his advantage um, at gunpoint right so if you think about everything if this was influenced by world war ii it's a, it's an interesting lens to view this film um and basically in the story happens is these two guys pick up a hitchhiker and uh he tries to use them to go to mexico to escape from another crime that he's done and uh a lot of stuff happens on the way and there's a lot of very taut scenes that are just three people in the desert and it's it's uh it's just very measured. I just, I love the way um, they interact with each other. And I think it's, I think it's uh chilling at moments when you think about it's sort of uh, the depths that people can go to um, question, which as you know, I love in horror. So uh, it really works here in film noir. Well, I think.
0: Yeah. I know with the, um, the bad guy is William Tolman mm-hmm. in, in that. And actually Patrick, we were talking about, when you mentioned Detour, I confused it with The Hitchhiker because I brought up William <laughs> Tolman to you.
2: Um,
0: but I, I think it, it's funny because William Tolman went on to uh, be, you know, the the district attorney hamburger. I can't believe that's his name. Hamilton Burger uh, in Perry Mason. Oh, my
2: God. Oh, my God.
0: Uh, but <laughs> but yeah, that's but, a
2: picture of him on IMDb, actually.
0: Yeah. But, but the funny thing is, if you watch any of the old Perry Masons, every episode's a film noir generally as a femme fatale there is a murder it's somebody who who you know perry who for some reason is incredibly wealthy so he takes all these poor people for free (laughs) (laughs) um but it's 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 a film noir television show um or maybe it's neo-noir because of of when it when it came out uh technically but um but william tolman um in in hitchhiker is incredible um Mm -hmm. he is a bad guy he is chilling uh, he is yeah. really
2: you're you're just like disturbed by him yeah
0: mm-hmm. I, I i love his performance in that yeah
2: it's it's fascinating because he seems to take joy in the horrible things he does yeah and i feel like that's the key to his performance in that is how he seems like he's enjoying what he's doing the whole time
0: yeah well, I, but but I, yes well i i think and in, in a lot of these uh like with Barbara Stanwyck, I mean, uh, uh, in Double Indemnity, a lot of these these people are sociopaths. I mean, they they somewhere in most of these is mm-hmm. is, is a sociopath. Yeah, um, but I, I, would,
2: I yeah, I would argue he's a psychopath. But yeah, 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 yeah. it's some sort of pathology. Yeah, there's something play?
0: happening, <laughs> and it's not just his bum his bum eye in that. That's it. Yeah. It's um, for so. Second, my second pick, I picked Laura by uh, uh, Otto Preminger with Gene Tierney. Dana Andrews, Clifton Webb, and Vincent Price. You have to mm-hmm. mention Vincent Price in this. Um, and it's a the premise is so messed up. A detective investigating a murder is mesmerized by her portrait. Yeah, like the guy, you know, like even Clifton Webb's character says to, to Dana Andrews, um, you know, you fell in love with a corpse. Cause <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's you know what? I don't understand that Dana Car- Dana Andrews character, um let me get his name here uh he didn't write it down um i don't understand the character he, he's not likable to me like at all but um what one of uh eddie muller's um definitions of of uh noir is it's usually an individual trying to transcend something and it often brings him to the wrong place and it's usually somebody from you know the other side of the tracks this is a movie where they take direct aim, except for the detective, at the upper class, um, mm-hmm. that they don't escape the, any of this either. And and uh, Clifton Webb's Waldo Lydector, uh, a newspaper columnist, and I'm wondering, because I mentioned Sweet Smell of Success, does they have something against newspaper columnists in these <laughs> movies? Because uh, J.J. Uh, Hunksetter and, and uh, Bert Lancaster's character is despicable um there there's something even though uh Waldo is not a good person um in this movie and i i, I guess I, I won't spoil it beyond that but it, it, he's who i watched the movie for that this performance is is incredible and i mean you know, and obviously you have gene tierney who's who's you know stunning um dane andrews who who is you know handsome you know rugged detective Vincent Price who was uh, so aloof in this um mm-hmm. and and great uh, uh I I mean I will watch anything with him um uh, he almost steals it too but it, but this is is Clifton Webb's film and and but I do love the fact that it did take direct aim more at the upper class you know the 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 socialites who you know, they we act like this doesn't happen, and, and I shouldn't say it, it doesn't happen in other noirs because it does, but but this one I think it's it's just a full on target of, of them. The the privilege that that that, that they all have mm-hmm. uh, that makes them think they can get away with this, and and this you know, mm-hmm. odd detective who loves a painting. Um, <laughs> that's so creepy. Um, I love and, and all he does, he, he sits in her apartment, the dead woman's apartment, yeah, drinking. Staring at a portrait. um That's it's 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 a it's an incredible no mm. dialogue, you know no dialogue or monologue. It's an incredibly mm. powerful scene, but it also makes you go, "What the fuck is up with this guy?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, the other the other other cops come in and like, uh you know, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm I'm all done now, but you're doing nothing. You're drinking, staring yeah. at a painting.
2: I love the the part in that where. Um, They say to him, you know, they're like, oh, you thought you have this, like, little fantasy going on. Like, they make it feel so sordid because it is. It is, yes. They're like, you have this fantasy that you could have dated her and you would be more than just a little gumshoe, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, like, so taunting and brings that point across from you, Skip, of the upper class thinking that they're hot shit. And then, um, and looking down on everybody, but it also brings forward the point that, like, this is goddamn creepy. <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs>
1: it is.
2: it um, is. I loved this movie. It was so good. And it felt, watching Vincent Price in this feels like watching Jimmy Stewart in uh, the second, I think it's the second Thin Man, where he's the bad yes. guy. Yes. And you're, <laughs> you're like, right. what's happening?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Stewart you, goes bonkers at the end of that. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> what? Um, yeah
2: this was like oh he's obviously the killer it's
0: vincent price Mm -hmm. yeah i mean he's well and he's such a cat you know he's he's engaged to laura but out you know still dating his old girlfriend i know um and possibly
2: other girlfriends right yes
0: (laughs) uh yes because yeah of yeah i i'll I'll try not to spoil that one but laura (laughs) is it's actually it's probably a movie i watch more than once every year well i i love laura not the painting.
2: Um, I was gonna say like everybody
0: <laughs> in the film.
1: <laughs> okay, uh Patrick,
0: number three.
1: Yeah, so you mentioned Hitchcock earlier, and uh I'm gonna I'm gonna my next film is one of his, uh Spellbound from nineteen forty-five. And the reason I picked this one, there's lots of Hitchcock films who could that could kind of fit into this this category, but Spellbound seems to be kind of forgotten which uh, is a little bit surprising. It was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture. It's got Ingrid Bergman, Gregory Peck. Um, I, I think one of the reasons why it, it's forgotten is because it it uh, trades on a lot of similar themes to other films Hitchcock did and, and maybe were a little bit better. But I like this one a lot because, uh, in a way, Gregory Peck is kind of the femme fatale of, of this film. Uh, he's an amnesia patient uh, working with uh doctor played by Ingrid Bergman, who really is the detective of this, of the, of the piece. Uh, uh, she discovers that he's got amnesia and is also not who he says he is and might be a murderer, of course, as as in a lot of Hitchcock films. Uh, but it's got some really great uh, for the time dream sequences, uh, really uh, uh impressionistic dream sequences and i i I think it's a lot of fun so i'm going with spellbound
0: yeah i think i think salvador Dali like worked on those dream dream sequences which Mm -hmm. is is incredible and plus it's like like one of the major uh um influences of high anxiety which like (laughs) right there come on
2: (laughs) reason enough yes (laughs)
0: Uh, no, I love spellbound. Yeah, I guess Hitchcock could could fit into a lot of them. But it is. Those dream sequences are are well, again Dolly, but but uh, mm-hmm. are were were incredible. But yeah. but I, I think it, um, in part of the, the research for what is noir, a lot of it mentions that um stylistically, a lot of it's based on German expressionism, mm-hmm. um, which is a lot of what that dream sequence looks like. Um, so I mean it, it fits perfectly into the the very vague definition of film noir mm-hmm.
2: yeah I almost chose Rebecca as my third oh. one um, because that feels very film noir but it didn't fit into my personal definition of film noir it, it, it's very mm-hmm. much an attack on an innocent person um, in my mind and I kind of feel like yeah maybe there's some elements of film there are definitely elements of film noir in there and maybe there's something to that you know um pressure from everything around you on an innocent person but i feel like my film noir thing tends to be again fringes of society and this is more distance distance edge of society and not social distance from society but yeah i i uh Hitchcock. A lot of Hitchcock's pieces, I feel like, fit neatly into the film noir.
0: Yeah, shadow of a doubt, I
1: would have. Um... Mm-hmm. Well, even
2: even like yeah. I know we classify Psycho as a horror film, but I feel like that could easily be considered a film noir horror. so oh, when ways. I looked at
1: lists of neo noir, Psycho was was on it. A lot of mm-hmm. along with a lot of other films that didn't make any sense to me. But
0: yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, well That's... he he. he... He is the femme fatale, Um, Uh (laughs) just an old dead one, like, you know, all
2: right, my last one for classic noir is, um, Ace in the Hole, uh, by Billy Wilder, and I, so I chose this, so I found this film, um, because I had a Kirk Douglas obsession for a while and watched everything he was in, um, my least favorite being Vincent Van Gogh, the Vincent Van Gogh biography,
0: (laughs) filmography.
2: Uh,
0: I don't picture Vincent emoting like that.
2: No, not quite. (laughs) And then uh, my favorite personally is uh, Bad and the Beautiful, which I feel could fit into film more, but is more of a melodrama. Um, But Ace in the Hole is, um, honestly, I think one of Kirk Douglas' best roles, um, next to, like, Paths of Glory, Um, and it's about this um, big city journalist who's pretty much an asshole, who's gotten kicked out of every major newspaper for being an asshole, and he's now in this, like, small little town in the Midwest, or the Midwest, the Southwest, Um, and he's working for a paper and being like, oh, you know, I'll just do your stories and give you good stuff until I get a big story and can move on. The Head of the paper's like, sure, whatever. This guy's a loser. It's not going to happen. And naturally he finds a story, which is a um, a local shop owner is trapped in a cave in some old ruins and can't get out. And Kirk Douglas basically, Kirk Douglas's character basically manufactures a situation where he is the only person who talks to this man and he's the only person who communicates out so that he can create a story from this um and i'm trying to figure out how much i can tell without fully spoiling uh the story basically uh things do not turn out well at the end for good old kirk uh and he has a massive uh learning moment for himself at the end of this (laughs) movie. um and of course it's just so much emotion so much drama It's very dark. Like, I find it to be a very dark movie. (laughs) Um, And as somebody at the time I was working in um, media, as somebody who worked, like, very close to a newsroom, I was like, ooh, ooh, this is a rough one for, for," especially the way the news is in the country um, in our current decade, in the last two decades, really. Uh, It's been... It's it's a it's a fascinating moral tale of what happens when you work in news and when you work in media. Um and it's very much a send up of that. Um, but just an amazing film overall, like pretty dark for that era. Yeah. And I,
0: I like how you and said uh oh i just had my life lesson yeah exactly It's <laughs> so minimized no, yeah. why, why I know. This? that's I great know,
2: i know um and it's funny because i feel like i want to say it feels like dark <clears throat> for billy wilder because i associate billy wilder with some like it hot but he also wrote double indemnity so i guess yeah. it's not dark for him <laughs> it just feels dark for like what my mind associates billy wilder with you know
0: yeah, he, okay. he's, he's... Well, he had an incredible career, but I'm just thinking yeah. about he He made the the our list twice.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, that, so that says... Him Lupino.
0: Yeah, that
1: says something for, for him. Um, Speaking but, of which, one of the films that I saw pop up on noir list all the time, and I wanted to get both of your opinions on if, if this is a noir, is Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah, I definitely feel mm-hmm. like that's a noir... Um, because I feel, I feel for me, it fits into that people on the fringes of society and somebody trying to take advantage of a, of another person who's not necessarily the greatest either, <laughs> considering what happens.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and, he, you know, he, is he trying to transcend something to go to like Eddie Mueller's old, uh, definition. So I, I, I would put it there. Yes. Um, okay. right. you know, and plus it's got the, you know, the. The voiceover narration you know style wise um definitely some of the shots are are uh can you can see the 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 camera angles based on german expressionism to get like real weirdly technical with this stuff mm-hmm. and it's a pretty freaking dark movie oh I mean, de- definitely, yeah yeah also talk, buster keaton's about... in
2: it yes like speaking that's right
0: <laughs> talk, talk about existentialist and you know how you feel at the end of that uh is, is just brutal but uh, you know kirk douglas i mean he's uh, often one of the what is often listed as one of the greatest uh, noirs out of the past uh, he has a great supporting role in that um the robert mitchum film but that almost made my list but it kind of just didn't because i mentioned it uh my third one i picked um i'm gonna thank patrick for this i picked scarlet street by fritz lang and it's only because patrick recommended it for our Noir November screening underground Wednesday screening at spotlight uh, um, so but just Charlie. to show for the noir <laughs> uh, and and, um, and I and I had seen it before it's directed by Fritz Lang so that also helps with the the German expressionist argument um, again Eva G Robinson uh, Joan Bennett and the great Dan Duryea I don't think we can do any discussion of film noir without mentioning Dan Duryea because he is the best bad guy like he eats up every scene uh, and, and I love it in this. So this is uh, um, the brief synopsis: When a henpecked husband finds solace with a shady lady, her panderer, pimp, um, <laughs> finds a way <laughs> to fleece him. Um, and 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 I'm going to spoil the end of this because of the hate code. Because it, it, at the end of this, first it, it it's they take advantage of him. He's an artist, and they take advantage of his art. And and he's um uh, uh he, the the murder of Joan Bennett. Uh, beats anything she ever did in Dark Shadows. It was so brutal uh, how he kills her um, and, and is enraged. But he gets away with it. Dan Duryea is arrested for it, prosecuted, and sent and put to death for it. And he's walking down the street during the Hays Code. Edward G. Robinson. The problem is, I mean, I think they justify it by that he's gone mad believing that they're souls are happy together in death mm-hmm. um and he's looking at his painting you know that just sold for ten thousand dollars on the street but you know he's a, a, a he goes mad which is even more bleak but it it it's something that i don't know how they made it then and got away with that ending i don't know how they they convinced them that oh no this is look he got his just do he's nuts um well, i don't know so it's it's stunning for that reason alone for any anything with dan Dorier is a bad guy you should watch uh and and edward g robinson man he this is such a different character than you know in double indemnity that it but at the end he, you do feel bad i felt bad for him i mean he was fleeced uh and then i mean he had a crappy they showed the crappy life with with his wife before then he gets taken in by these folks and then um so it, there's there's a, a huge amount of empathy for him but but um it, they it, it what you 1945 they beat the Hays code that's crazy so should we go on to neo-noirs yeah I, yeah um I, you guys were just stunned by dan durier's performance <laughs> i could see that i
2: mean so I'm stunned by anybody who can beat the Hayes code TVH. Yeah. well there, there
0: was um uh I just uh Patrick and I were just talking about this too um I think it's called "The deception of deceived a uh, Betty Davis film with uh, Paul Henry and uh you know he's he's he plays the cello in it it says the whole music thing and Claude reigns with big big puffy hair um he's this horrible person and and uh Betty Davis kills him and at the end she's just walking away with Paul Henry. Now they they she confessed to him the killing. Mm-hmm. So it leaves to you the thought that, okay, maybe now they're walking to the police. <laughs> but he mm-hmm. loves her, so I'm thinking maybe
2: not. Well, um, I would also tie into the whole like pseudo Catholic confession <laughs> element, like, oh, her soul is pure. She confessed because she feels bad, type of thing. But
0: But there was no penance.
2: Uh well.
0: She got the, right. she got the guy she loves, um, I suppose. It, it, it's, they, but it wasn't nearly as, I mean, the, 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 the literal, the murder of Joan Bennett in this is, you know, eye popping for 45. So uh, the fact that he, they showed that and he gets away with it. I mean, uh, Betty Davis just shoots Claude Rains, you know, and he, and you want her to, um, th- this, you didn't really want him to, to go this far. You just wanted him to leave. Um, it's but yeah it's, but i can think of two that broke it um that they paid attention to obviously there were underground films that they could care you know they didn't care about uh, in particular more in the 50s but that's um so that i think those are some pretty good recommendations for people who aren't you know freaks of noir so but then then <laughs> yeah, there's the, neo, I, the the
1: neo noir right well i also want to say i just can't wait to see scarlet street at uh starlight in southbridge massachusetts on november 29th at 7 p.m for free so free yeah for free
0: and uh, there'll be two of at least two of us will be there (laughs)
2: at least two of you will be there yeah
0: you came to the last one which was great i did
2: i did i i will try i try to come to them when i can it's just a little a little far of a drive from my apartment (laughs) if i'm not planning
0: yes and and it's um that is, you know, another one of the programs of the the Shauna Foundation. We do uh, free screenings once a month in Southbridge, Massachusetts for uh, Underground Wednesday, uh, where we show weird uh, cultish underground and mostly public domain films because we don't want to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping we see
1: some of our Belgian listeners there. So I've heard. We've yes. Got yes. Listeners we have in Belgium.
0: We do. And Germany. <laughs> You know, they're going to love this this one because, I mean, how many times have I dropped a German expressionism uh, in this episode? I think <laughs> I, I might have hit the quota for, for us to get bumped higher in the <laughs> German market. <laughs> okay, Neo-Noir, I guess, is a noir film made after 1960. I don't know what the difference is other than that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're in color?
0: Right.
2: Not always. No, many that's many true. One color. I mean, okay. there's still black and white movies in the 60s. So there's
0: still black and white movies now. It's
2: um, true.
1: Uh, so, Patrick, neo noir. Yeah. So I'm going to go with a film from 1990 called Bad Influence, directed by Curtis Hansen, who uh, loved the neo noir genre. You could say he eventually would go on to perfect it with LA Confidential. Uh, but, uh, uh, Bad Influence is pretty damn good too. Um it's James Spader. Rob Lowe is the femme fatale. It it features all of the <laughs> the the tropes we've been talking about. James Spader's character is uh an asshole, but you kind of have empathy for him. Uh he's he's a uh, uh, a finance guy. Um yeah, and uh Rob Lowe enters his life and uh just like in classic film noir. Proceeds to manipulate him in all kinds of uh, fun and murderous ways. So um, uh, also a little bit possibly gay sub- subtext in there, uh, uh, but uh, it's it's uh, got a lot uh, got a lot of good twists. Like I said, it's a lot of fun. So bad influence. Nineteen
2: ninety gay subtext with James Spader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knew that could be in there? <laughs>
1: Yeah, and also, Skip, that, that you mentioned earlier about how everybody uh, in film noir is always, even the the lowlifes were dressed to the nines. Definitely the case in this film, too. Very, very stylish. Everyone looks great. Um, uh, I recommend it. Andrea?
2: So my um, pick for Neo-Noir is going to be The Misfits, which is right over the 1960s line. Uh, 1961. And um, it is starring Clark Gable, Marilyn Monroe, and Montgomery Clift. So it's like, you know, classic cast right there. Um, It's actually also the last film of Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe, um, which is incredible. It's uh, directed by John Huston, the uncredited writer's Arthur Miller. And boy, can you feel that when you watch this (laughs) film? (laughs) It's very much an Arthur Miller film of, um, like talk about nihilism in my mind and, like, nobody can ever be happy, fully happy. Um, It's so, it's about um, a woman who's getting divorced and she goes out to celebrate her divorce and immediately meets this sort of aging cowboy in Clark Gable um, and his uh, you know, sort of partner in crime um, who's played by Eli Wallach um, and it's uh it's just it's this movie where everybody's just so sad all the time and they're just all so struggling to survive and um and it's it's like you can tell clark gable is not well watching this um and he actually died 10 days after i believe after shooting ended um of a heart attack and um And it's just, I feel like everybody in this, Marilyn Monroe died a year and a half later, but like, at least with the two of them as stars, and as like this pseudo-romantic couple in this movie, um, there's such a weird vibe going on between the two of them, because they're supposed to be romantic, but something I didn't know before I was researching for this episode is um, Marilyn Monroe, when she was growing up, um, you know, she had a not great childhood, um, and she never had a father, and one of the things that she did as a kid was uh, sleep with a picture of Clark Gable under her pillow and pretend that he was her father. Um, Hmm. So when you watch this, there's this very weird vibe between the two of them, because I think she's still, she's acting towards him as this weird, like pseudo sexual father figure um, in this movie. And it's just, it's so, it's just so sad to watch this movie and know that they were both about to die and know that like, She's in this moment where where she's, you know, her career is is sort of stumbling and she's still a star, but it's it's she's not doing well and he's not doing well and everybody in this movie is just suffering from one way or another. And it is very is very noir in the style and the and the sort of characters. Um, it's very western in sort of the storyline and subject, um, but it's just it's such a good. Such a good portrait of people living on the fringe of society that um, it's just heartbreaking um, to watch and just beautiful at the same time.
0: It is, and I don't think Monty Clift was well either during the filming yeah. of that. I mean, yeah. he he looks really rough in it as yeah. well. And yeah. I don't know, I don't know how many more films he made after that either. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could see the, the decline in all three of them. Yeah. You know when yeah. Eli Wallach looks like the healthy one, something's wrong.
2: Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, and <laughs> Eli Wallach never looks good. So, <laughs> yeah, that he made uh, Montgomery Cliff did three films after this. Wow. But, um, he looks like he only lasted like uh, five more years. Yeah, he died at forty-five, which yeah. is like insane. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's just it's it's a film that's so. I feel well-performed. Clark Gable thought it was his best acting he'd done to date. Um, and, you know, it's mm. just, it's one of those films where you watch it and it just, it feels very real. Um, sad, but very real. And that's one of the reasons I love it. And one of the reasons I think it's such a good neo-noir. Because it's not as stylized as some others, but it, it takes a very real lens on those type of people that you see in these films.
0: So is, is sad a big part of your definition of noir in general?
2: No, I don't think it is. You know, I think it is, it is a very big definition of this film. I think in noir, you tend to have um, unrealistic views on these people, right? Like they're all sort of hustlers and very much characterizations. But if you think about these people's real lives, like if you think about, you know... Um, the the life of like um you know one of the characters in the hitchhiker or if you think about the real life of the characters in ace in the hole you know if they're not being stylized in this 1940s 1950s noir way it's really kind of sad but i think the noirs themselves aren't but i think in a lot of times a lot of times in neo-noirs you get a much more realistic view like especially in 60s films they tended to be a lot more realistic about their characterizations and the, the real stuff those characters are going through and that's why i think the misfits what sets the misfits apart as as sort of a realistic noir film
0: yeah i think um would you say 1961 yeah i mean that was even i mean i know it was john houston so mm-hmm. he, he's old but that that's that actually feels like a new hollywood film you know yeah they, exactly. they, they came in later with with yeah. um you know the late 60s and you know starting yeah. with bonnie and clyde it it, it has yeah. it has that feel that that seemed to have been
2: yeah i think
0: one of the steps towards that
2: yeah exactly um, exactly it feels like a new hollywood film directed by an old hollywood yeah <laughs> yes with old hollywood stars
0: <laughs> but uh, you're right that yeah but that wouldn't i mean john houston that wouldn't surprise me and and speaking of john houston um my neo-noir pick uh could could be you know, hadn't been made in another era, it would have been a straight up noir. I picked Chinatown, by uh, Roman Polanski with Jack yes. Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, and John Huston. Um, uh, a private detective uh, is hired to expose an adulterer in nineteen thirties Los Angeles and finds himself caught up in a web web of deceit, corruption, and murder. Um, th- this is this is a Raymond Chandler Philip Marlowe story. I mean, J.J. Giddies is is Philip Marlowe, like in, in any other film. Oh, absolutely, it, it is it, it is a complete throwback, but in color, and you know, like that, like with Dan Duryea's character in Scarlet Street. What what was the phrase I used? Um, panderer, not pimp. Like <laughs> like like <laughs> they um. They didn't have to dance around, you know. They didn't yeah. dance around with anything, um. And, you know, including incest. I mean, they, yeah. they, they. It's it's so dark. Uh, and you know, he he plays the perfect the Nicholson, the perfect detective. Faye Dunaway is is a, an interesting take on the femme fatale because she does drag Jack Nicholson's character into something he probably doesn't really want to be dragged into.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. Especially with how it ends so but so she is the femme fatale but again it's it's like dan Duryea to me in the in scarlet street or, or mm-hmm. i seem to fall in love with the the villains john houston is so oh great and mm-hmm. so
2: amazing mm-hmm. and he
0: keeps saying mr Gitz, mr Gitz. um yeah. and he wants to even say his name right um he's so good in this uh and he's just so comfortable in in his decisions that are evil it's, it's um, one of the
2: great directors directors on film roles I think it's up there like if you think about directors who who appear on screen when they're predominantly a director not actors turned directors you know
0: yeah I yes I I think it's one of the Sidney Pollack often impresses me whenever he's the other one I was thinking of (laughs) (laughs) those two are like oh wow they so when they're directing the actors they actually really really know what they're talking about Yeah. (laughs) yeah But but he he, John Houston steals steals the movie Uh, and and it's I think I I can't even remember I did say uh, oh I picked Insomnia the 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 foreign film uh, for my other third I know you mentioned um LA Confidential but I was trying to connect uh, what it looked like because this is still very Mm -hmm. so stylish Uh, Mm -hmm. you know they didn't lose any style in this at all. Um, it just
2: very it very much feels like a film noir that's like been colorized almost
0: yes um and and not you know then the director's cut (laughs) version yeah yeah exactly of of it so what were your other two neo-noir picks andrea
2: uh my other two were lady vengeance by park chan wook um which i actually like is probably the furthest from noir of mine um and then my but i i think it's it's Very much fits my definition of people on the fringes of society um, doing something that's not necessarily right, but right for them. And then um, (laughs) my other one was, again, a very, like, classic noir, but with a twist, uh, much like Chinatown, um, which is Blade Runner, which is, like, I felt, I picked The Misfits because I feel like Blade Runner is too obvious of a (laughs) (laughs) neo-noir. It's like a neo-noir plus sci-fi, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I went as obvious as I could. Um. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I love Chinatown for what it's worth, Skip. Like, um, I already, I, I think I've mentioned on this show before the difficulty I have because I love Roman Polanski's movies. And as a fellow Polak, I'm like, mm, why are you like this? Um, and, uh, but I, Chinatown was the first Roman Polanski film I saw and it was also technically the first film noir that i saw um hmm. and i was just like this is a thing yeah. once i saw that <laughs> and uh i just absolutely adored it um so i'm glad that i'm glad that you picked it even if you think it's obvious
1: <laughs> yeah it is and patrick you you had uh two others yeah well speaking of obvious one of my others was body heat yeah which uh classic film uh kathleen turner i remember seeing that and thinking yeah i would probably do anything she asked me to as well um just incredible performance yeah and then the other one was uh francis Ford coppola's the conversation which again it is it a noir is it is it not but i think it it fits in with a lot of the themes we've been talking about well I i think that's the whole uh you
0: know, beauty of, of both noir and neo noir. Um, and Andrea, you said this is your definition, um, and we all, everyone seems to have their own definition uh, because it's it was never really a thing and, until a French critic made it a thing. Yeah, um, and then then everybody, oh yes, you know, no one deliberately went out to make a noir um, until after that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, so it, it, it's. I think it can be anyone's interpretation it really gets
2: well, it's like how um you look at um post the vietnam war how big uh you know what it, what do they call it um torture porn was at post the vietnam war but then it didn't get called torture porn till like the 90s and then you know you have eli roth I'm speaking in the world I'm comfortable with
1: horror.
2: <laughs> uh then you have Eli Roth who's like I'm going to make a torture porn movie and it's it's the same here you know where there's this thing that you're making that's hitting with people and then somebody's like ah it is film noir and somebody goes I'm going to make film noir yeah, so I feel yeah. like it's film noir if it was before the definition almost and it's like it's neo noir if it's post the definition.
0: I think that's I think that's a grand slam. Uh, I think that that is it Um, that that is perfect and I think that's a perfect note to end on Um, (laughs) a a definition something that we can all kind of hold on to Uh, thank you this this is our special edition of of creating dangerously our next episode they're all special they are (laughs) because we're very special Uh, (laughs) (laughs) our next next episode after this will be uh, about satire so keep an eye out for that as well uh, thank you, and uh, see you next time.
1: May I have your attention, please? I think you all remember the bargain we made about staying all night.
0: No such deal, Vincent. Go home. Thanks for joining us today, folks. Our opening and closing themes are by Shane Ivers, Creating Dangerously, a monthly podcast, is a production of the Shauna Ishay Memorial Foundation, Inc., a 501c3 charitable organization. All views and opinions expressed in Creating Dangerously are not necessarily those of the Shauna Foundation and its affiliates. Not that we have any. They are only the opinions of the hosts and the guests. See you next month, and remember, keep creating dangerously.